you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Revelations. Revelation chapter 2. This is, again, we're going to continue on. Pastor's been teaching about purpose as a whole for the year, but specifically for the last month or two, he's been talking about remembering. And the words he said one Sunday morning, I don't even know if it was his punchline or not, but it's stuck with me, and it's stuck with me for this whole series, is the power of remembering. There is power in remembering what God has done in the past, remembering where we've come from and what God has brought us through and things like that. And so we're just going to continue on with that this morning. In Revelations chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we, these are the texts that we use last Sunday and we will for the next couple of Sundays. It says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we're talking about returning to our first love or remembering, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. And I'll just do a little quick review of what we talked about last week. You know, we kind of highlighted in and remember, therefore, from where you have fallen or where you once were. We talked about what it was like when we were first born again and the excitement and the joy that comes along with being born again and everything's new and fresh and your thoughts are consumed with God and it's just like you can't get enough of the things of God. And, and it's easy as life goes on and things come against us, life gets busier, all these things can come and, and start to fill that time and we can trail away from God and not spend as much time with, maybe not read as much word, maybe not worship like we used to, whatever it might be. And it's easy to get pulled away from those things. But that's why Jesus instructs us here, repent and do the first works. And it's by getting back to those first works um, that we've allowed life to push out, that that's where we find our first love or that original joy, just like it was when we were first born again being on fire for God, being loaded up by God. And just hearing, and I shared about how Dr. Barclay, the prophet of God, was teaching this. Um, Dr. Randall Greer was teaching on this. Pastor's been teaching on this. And, and what we're going to get into even more, I've heard Apostle Mike say some things on this subject. It's without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, the heartbeat of God right now. Getting back to where we were, picking up where we, in a sense, left off, and getting moving again. We've just kind of stalemated because we've kind of wandered off type of thing. And I gave you three ways to return to your first works. The first one was believe, Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It sounds simple, but it believe. It's as simple as that, believing God. I mean, just the simple things of life. We get going in life and we get busy and we just try and deal with it or do it ourselves. And we forget we can believe God for these things. And he'll intervene, he'll help us out. And the second one was prayer. Uh, out of John 14, 13, and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, we kind of forget to pray about things sometimes. We're dealing with things that are coming against us. We've got struggles in life or, or whatever it might be. We just we don't even bother to pray about it, you know. And, and we know we should, but we just don't take the time. 
You know, and so taking the time to get back into prayer. And the last one I gave you was abide in the vine, or in other words, the word. You know, Jesus is the true vine, and we're to abide in him. Jesus is the word of God, as we looked at John 1.1. So we need to abide in the word. We need to get back to reading the word every day. You know, it doesn't mean you have to read the entire New Testament or read an entire chapter or even read, you know, 15 verses. Just get some word. And that's why I encouraged everybody to take even five minutes every day to either read or worship or pray or some of these different things. And those, those simple steps, we start doing those first works, that joy that fire within us will be rekindled and that joy will come back and it won't be a, a struggle to do it. It'll be something we draw for, we desire, we want to get to. Um, and we talked about the prodigal son. You know, we can hear messages like this, but we need to do something with it. Luke fifteen seventeen says, when he came to himself, and that was kind of what we were going for last week is a moment where, hey, we need to just come to ourselves and go, I really haven't been doing these things and I have let my first love slip. But he didn't just stop there, but in Luke 15, 20, he said, and he rose and came to his father. He did something. He didn't just go, yeah, I've slipped, I've fallen, I've let some things go, but he got up and he did something about it. So I gave you those three things, believe, pray, and abide in the vine. Is anybody bold enough to tell, tell on themselves? Have they done anything different this last week to seek God and to return to their first love? tell on themselves. Sure. Uh, just you bet. Yeah. Do you seem to notice a difference? Has anything kicked in yet? It might not yet. That's fine and dandy. I'm just curious. Like I said, I think that's the heart of God. Anybody else have anything quick they want to share? That's fine. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. For me personally, I've spent more time with God this week than I have in lots of past weeks. And granted, yes, I'm studying for a message, yada, yada. I love the excuse for that. I mean, it's the perfect excuse. And that's why I told Pastor, you know, I think I'm just going to kick you out and take over because I want to keep doing this. Cause I just, But this last week, I've had more joy than I have in a long time. And... There's been some pretty interesting things that have come up this week that have made it good reasons not to have joy and to be quite upset, but they really haven't been that big a deal because they just, you know, they're temporal things. They're not that big a deal. And so I've personally enjoyed it. I've done my part, and I'm falling in love with God like I haven't in a long time. And and so I encourage you to just take those first works. And, and that's what we talked about last week, more of returning to a first love on a personal level, in the next week and two, I want to get kind of into more as a church, as a whole, how the church needs to return to its first love. You know, the church body as a whole right now, and I'm not talking necessarily just individually as Harvest Church, if anything, um, and we'll get into that, you know, I think we've got a solid, solid leader, and he does a fantastic job of sticking with the things of God and, and pressing on and pressing in and things like that. But the church body as a whole in this nation has just begun to slip further and further and further away from its first love. 
you know, we're, we're taking a path that's just walking us farther and farther from God. And you see that, the things that are turning away and changing. You know, it's a path of selfishness, just to say the least. That's probably one of the best words that sums it up. You know, it's a path that either alters the things of God to fit that lifestyle, or it's a path this nation is taking that just flat out eliminates God and removes it out of there. And as a Christian, you know, we can get overwhelmed by what's going on in this nation. And, and it, can be, it can be daunting. You know, there's so much things that are veering so far away from God and the chaos that's going on out there and the, the things that we're making legal and laws and things like that. It's just like, this thing's out of control. And, and, and you can almost lose hope out of the deal and just get an attitude of, forget it. It's not worth it. I can't eat, it's, it's too big. This isn't something that I can even fathom, let alone do something about to change it kind of thing. And so when we get to thinking like that and get an attitude like that, one of two things can happen. First one is we'll give up. We'll just give up. We'll stop praying because what good does it do to pray for the leadership of this nation anyway? They're so screwed up and messed up and selfish and yada, yada. Well, I think we're seeing some things change, so I hope you don't think that anymore. But but overall, as a nation as a whole, there's still a lot of screwy stuff going out there, and we can get an attitude where we just give up. And we feel like it's a lost cause anyway. We stop speaking and, and teaching the truth. You know, we don't tell anybody about what the Bible says anymore because all it does is make them mad. It seems like everybody's offended about everything these days. You can't say or do anything without offending somebody, and especially not as a Christian. You can merely put a little post on Facebook that says something about Jesus loves me, and you can catch a whole line of crap from somebody just because it offends them. So it's kind of like, eh, forget it. I'll just keep to myself. Yeah, I love God. I'm going to keep going after God, but I sure as heck ain't going to say anything about it. And I don't know that there's any point in praying about these people because they are way out there in left field. And so, one, we can give up, or two, the other thing we can do to make this work and make it a lot easier on ourselves is we can alter the word. And we start leaving out the scriptures that cause such offense. You know, things like God loves everybody. We know that's true. And, and he does. He loves everybody. But that doesn't mean that the sins that everybody's in is accepted by God. And we start seeing things that are getting taught out there where God's okay with everything. He's okay with your sinful lifestyle. He loves you no matter what. And yes, he does love you no matter what. But we're altering that truth to make it sound like living this way is A-OK. And it's not. And so we start altering the word and we start changing the word. We start trying to culturalize our church services. We start trying to bring things in and do things that seem relevant and popular out there in the world in hopes that maybe some people will come to church. You know, we, we need visitors. We want visitors. We want new people to come to our church. But, you know, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we start doing some of those things that they like, you know, whatever they might be. You know, and we won't get into a lot of the details because I'll just rant and rave and get myself all worked up into a lather. But... You know, we try and basically preach uh, uh, a new, more relevant message in hopes that it'll apply to them and intrigue them and get them to come and listen to us. Something different than what was because that offends them now. And so we can't talk like that now. Uh, we become preachers who speak to those with itching ears because they don't, they can't endure sound doctrine, as it says in Second Timothy. And we'll get into more of that later. But this is why... As a church, Jesus tells us to repent 
and do the first works. Not new works, but the first works. Uh, When we know that we have fallen from where we once were, it's easy to slip into a trap of trying to manufacture a move of God. You know, if you think back to the past, and especially some of you that have been walking with God for a long, long time, and some of you younger ones, you've never even seen stuff, where God has moved in miraculous ways. You know, the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that, that, you know, uh, people, I've seen complete strangers get prophesied over, and God just nails everything. It's happened to me. I've been prophesied over by people who do not know me from nobody in a church service, a guest speaker here, but I was just somebody in the crowd to them, you know, and and just call my mail out. And that is so cool to hear how God will get to you sometimes and how he'll use different ways to get to you. Seeing people miraculously healed, you know, seeing the spirit move in neat ways with tongues and interpretations of tongues and different things like that, you know, we don't see much of that anymore. And so we start getting this idea that we're doing something wrong. We're falling short. We, we, aren't, we aren't seeing God move in our lives or in our church. We better do something. And we start trying new things. We just start making stuff up in hopes that God will move. And we start manufacturing moves of God. And he's not in it. You know, the scripture comes to mind. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it, build it in vain. We can still build the house, and it says that. They're still able to build the house, but if God's not in it, it's pointless. It's absolutely pointless. So we need to return to the first works, not new works. And I said this last week, we don't need a new gospel. We don't need a new Jesus. We don't need a new Bible. These are the first works. This is what we need, and we need to return to those things. Repent and do the first works. So, as a church, what are the first works? I give you examples of um, first works we can do in our own personal lives with praying and, and believing and getting into the word. So, it says in this scripture that you have left your first love. Well, who is our first love or the church's first love? Jesus. And then also, who is Jesus then? He's the word of God, as John 1, 1 says. So really our first love is the true word of God. And as a church, that's what we need. We need to preach the true word of God. And we need to seek after the true word of God. Not some watered down, sugar-coated version that makes everybody feel warm and cozy all the time, but the true word of God. And we'll get into this. So let's read some true word of God that basically perfectly lays out exactly what I'm trying to talk about here today and does even a better job of saying it than I could ever come up with. So let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. Well, we could stop right there. Is that not what's going on today? Everybody is in it for themselves. We don't care about other people. I mean, I see things go by on good old Facebook, how people are watching other people suffer and drown and die, and they just stand there and mock and laugh. 
They're in it for themselves. Nobody cares about anybody else. It's what can I get and how can I better myself. They become lovers of, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unthankful. You just don't see anybody thankful for anything these days. We live in one of the greatest nations of the world, and all we can do is gripe and complain about how horrible it is to live here. Give me a break. Thank God we can come to church on a Sunday morning and freely preach and not have to hide in a hole somewhere for afraid somebody's going to shoot us. Amen? I mean, we have reasons like no other to be thankful, but we are unthankful as a whole. You know, and I'm not saying you are. So we're talking about the church as a whole in the United States even. Uh, Unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we don't stick to our first love and our first works, we'll find ourselves teaching and preaching a watered-down, sugar-coated message, one that maybe doesn't offend, one that's all-inclusive because you can't exclude anybody, you know, these days. You don't want to isolate anybody. But they're half-truths. And you you can't get to the knowledge of the truth or the knowledge of God by just taking on half-truths. And, you know... This isn't necessarily a guarantee guide, but if you're, you know, there's a lot of good preachers out there and stuff, and we can listen to them and things like that, but, you know, we need to, as a church, be learning to decipher what is and what isn't. What is a watered-down, sugar-coated message that just sounds good, but isn't of God kind of thing. And, you know, for example, if you've got a preacher who uses half of a scripture, maybe just takes a half a scripture and then preaches for an hour and a half on that scripture with a whole bunch of wonderful-sounding things that really make you feel good inside, that might not be a guaranteed thing because there's just not much good word there. It's the word that we need. It's the word that does the work within us. And I'm not saying that can't be the case. That can be the case, but just saying, if that's all that person ever does then they're really not giving you the word. It's the word that's going to bring the changes. It's the word that's the first works. You know, I'm going back and when Ezra, clear back in the Old Testament, when Ezra got back together, and I can't remember the whole story, so I'm going to probably botch it here and how it goes because it's just popped in my mind. But I believe Nehemiah rebuilt the temple. They got back together, and the people of Israel got back together, and Ezra was the high priest at the time or the priest at the time. He got the word of God out. And it had been a long time since anybody had really gotten into the word. Israel had strayed away. And all he did was stand up there and read the word of God. He didn't preach. He didn't say nothing. He read the word of God. And it caused everybody there to repent, to fall down, cry, mourn, and weep because they realized how far away they had gotten from God. He didn't preach a fantastic, wonderful, feel-good message that was all-inclusive. All he preached or spoke was the word of God. And that's what we need. And I'm not saying you can't have a message and listen to the message, but it needs to have the word. We need to get back 
to the word of God. And we'll go on and we'll see why here. 2 Timothy 3, let's jump down to verses 13 through 17. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They come up with so much weird crap that they start believing it themselves. Really. And, and I was reading some Rick Renner stuff, and he's talking about this stuff, and, and, and they'll start coming up with fables and stories, and, and they'll come up with stories that are personal, that sound righteous, but you can't back them up and you can't discredit them because they're their own personal stories. For example, I could share stories all day long about visits I've had with God or revelations I've received from God, and they're, they're close to the word and they sound good, and especially since they're my stories, how can you discredit it? They're my experiences, stuff like that. And it's, it's been going on from day one. It's not brand new thing, but it's definitely getting thick and heavy these days and a lot of preachers are going to this route and they're just sharing stories and their own revelations and it's not a good safe thing they're deceiving and then they end up becoming deceived and everybody's in a big old mess let's see if I can find my place back deceiving and being deceived verse 14 but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Only the true word of God is profitable. That's the only time you'll find profit in it. If it's a half word of God, a half truth, if it's a watered down, sugar coated version, there's not going to be profit in it. It's not going to create gain in anyone's life. They're not going to ever be able to come to the true knowledge of the word and the true knowledge of God and who he is. It's Righteous sounding teachings that have no scripture in them are not profitable. They're only good for itching ears. They're not good for reproof, for correction, or instruction in righteousness, as this says. Let's jump over to 2 Timothy 4. We'll kind of keep going in this. You guys getting the heartbeat here of what's going on? I mean, he's preaching about the end times and the end days and what's going to come to pass, and this is what we're seeing going on. And we need to be aware of it, and we need to be in the Word so we can identify it and lay it by the wayside and not latch onto it and be led away by it. Okay, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they won't endure teachings like Jesus is the only way heaven you cannot go to heaven any other way you cannot go to heaven by being a part of a church you cannot go to heaven by being a good person you cannot go to heaven any other way than through jesus christ and i've heard some of these traveling ministers say there are preachers out there teaching that everybody goes to heaven because god loves everybody and why would he let anybody go to hell and that sounds wonderful don't it 
don't that just sound great? God is a loving God, and he does not want anybody to go to hell. But that's not how it works. That's not sound doctrine. That's a half-truth, and it's wrong. But people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that their sin, their way of lifestyle that they love and want to continue to do is going to keep them from God. They don't want to hear it. So they'll go find, because they have itching ears, they'll go find one of these other preachers that will preach these half-truths to them and make them feel good, accepted, and and A-OK with their lifestyle. It don't work like that. Just like they won't endure sound teachings like marriage was instituted by God. And he said it's between a man and a woman. There's no other way around it. And shame on these denominations and preachers who are performing ceremonies for gay and lesbians or whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure what the right words are anymore these days to not offend somebody. But to perform these marriages and mock God like that. God, the holy God who created this union, and he made this union as close to a union as with him. He made it that powerful where two spirits are bonded like that. What a mighty, awesome thing he created, and we mock it. And we've accepted it in our churches. We say it's okay. We condone it. We perform those ceremonies mocking God. It is not the word of God. It is not profitable. It is not truth, period. There's no way around it. Now, I'm not saying we've got to go out and beat, beat somebody up over the deal, but we need to know the true word of God, and as a church, as a whole, we need to get back to the first works. You know, how many of people are riled up and fired up because of what Trump did by saying that not going to let transgenders into the military? Wow, that got out of control fast, didn't it? One tiny step in the right direction. And he got all kinds of flack. But you know what? We've got to start taking those steps to get back to our first love. And we need that in our lives. We need that in our nation. We need that in our churches. It has to be the true, uncompromised word of God to have profit. Otherwise, it's just fairy tales and fables. So we've hit this, but let's back up to verse 1 in chapter 4 there. And through all of this, Paul is teaching Timothy, who's a pastor, but really he's speaking to the churches as a whole. He's telling them what it's going to be like, what people are going to start to do, the directions they're going to turn and go, which is exactly what we're seeing in this nation. And this is his command on how to deal with it. Verses 1 and 2 here. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, That right there is a pretty stiff charge. He's basically saying, you're going to stand in front of God, and you're going to give account, and this is the charge, and you will stand before him. So he's charging him with a pretty stiff charge here. And what does he tell him to do in verse 2? Preach the word. Preach the word. Others are going to say other things. Others are going to teach other things. But you stay solid to the word of God. Do not stray. Do not walk away from it. Do not allow the voices of man to steer you in any other direction. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. We need to be ready in season and out of season. 
For us personally, if we're not in the Word, you're not going to know what's going on. You're not going to know whether or not what you're seeing and hearing over here is correct or not. You're not going to know whether that teaching that's watered down, is that really the Word or not? That sounds like it. I hear him using a little scripture. But if you don't know the Word, you're not going to know the second half of what he's sharing is against the scripture. It's a watered down version. And so we need to be in the Word as, as individuals, yes, but as a church. We need to be in the Word and hearing the Word and receiving the Word. That's why we go to church. That's why we read the Bible is so we can know. We can be ready in season and out of season to do what? Convince. The true Word of God will convince people of where they're at, their need for a Savior, what is right, and what is wrong. We use it to convince people. Rebuke. Oh, heaven forbid you rebuke anybody and tell them that that's not right. This is what's right. And I'm not saying we do it with an attitude of a fight. That's not the goal, and you know that. But, heaven forbid, we say what is right. I'm sorry, I don't agree with you. And here's why. Because the Word of God says this. And this is what I believe. So I'm sorry you got that, but this is truth. And I've, I've used this line many times before on different people. You know, my truck's parked out there. You can argue all day long if you want that that's not my truck but I own it. My name's on the title. It's my truck. I don't care if you believe it or not. The truth is, that's mine. I don't care if you really get a hold of this or not. It's still the truth. Argue with me all day long that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, but I'm a good person. I think I'll make it just fine on my own. Argue with me all day long. That's not the truth. It's not the truth. And again, I'm not trying to argue with them, but we're rebuking them, showing them what is the truth. And then let God do the rest. You don't have to convince them of everything in their life and make them come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Let him do his job. But be willing to stand on what's right and convince and rebuke and exhort. We can encourage people. God does love you. He doesn't care what you've done and where you've been. All he cares about is what you're going to do right here, right now, and how you're going to move forward. We can encourage people. We can exhort them to come to God because maybe they think God has got a hammer and he's ready to smack them every time they make a mistake. And so they hide from God. You know, they've been taught wrong and that's just their idea. So it can be an exhortation to them also. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We already established that Jesus and the Word and the Word and Jesus, you can interchange them things. Anytime you see Jesus, you can put the Word in there. And it works, and it always is truth, because Jesus and the Word are one. So, in other words, the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It has no need to change. It always fits and always works. We don't need to have a new Word. We don't need a new Bible, because today's culture and and today's generations are different. It just doesn't work like it used to. Baloney. It's the word of God. It will always work. It always applies to every situation. Yes, maybe the delivery changes a little bit, but the word cannot. The word cannot change. We cannot stray away from it. So as a church, as individual members that make up the church, we need to return to our first love. We need to return to the word, the full gospel. 
not half gospel. We need to probably just start another denomination. I mean, isn't that what we're good at here in America? Splitting off into different denominations, you know, how many different sects of even, uh, different sections and, and versions of each denomination there are even anymore because, you know, Lutherans can't even get along with themselves, so they split up in six different ways. And, I, you know, we just keep breaking off and splitting and, and coming up with new, new versions of the Bible. What is up with that? So I think we need to start a new one, and we can call it the half gospel church. You know, we, we run around and people ask, well, what kind of denomination do you go to? And we say, well, we're a full gospel church, you know. And basically what that's meaning is we believe everything in here, not just all of it. And you guys take a portion of it, that's fine and dandy, but I want the whole thing. I ain't stopping short. I'm going to get it all. And thank God that, you know, there's other churches that maybe don't believe everything, but at least they're preaching salvation. That's great. That's good. That's the main goal. But again, why not take it all? Why not take the full gospel but we'll start we'll see what we can do maybe get a another denomination going that's called the half gospel for these different churches that want to water it down a little bit make it a little more cozy and comfortable for those people that don't want to really truly be convinced and rebuked and exhorted but anyway here with pastor at harvest church you're going to get the word you are getting the word so we can still question well then why if we're being taught the word, is things not really like they used to be? Why is the spirit not moving every Sunday? Why, why doesn't you know prophecy happen every Sunday kind of thing? Why isn't the Holy Spirit moving and people are getting healed every Sunday or whatever it might be? We can sit here and still kind of wonder, well, we got to be doing something wrong. Well, there's a responsibility on our part too to do something with it. One, we need to come every Sunday morning ready to receive the word of God. If we're not back with our first love, then we're just going to do church as something we need to do. We show up, we go through the motions, we go home. Kind of like I talked last week. We can hear a good message and go, yeah, that's for me, and then go home, and that's it. The rest of the week, you don't even think one time about that message. We need to do our part. We need to put wheels to it. Just like the prodigal son, he got up and went to his father. We need to get up and go to our Father. When we come to church, I've been starting to get back into habit. I used to do this all the time, all the time, and it just made the biggest difference in the world, and I've been getting back into the habit. When I'm on my way to church on Sunday mornings, I say, I am going to go to church today, and I'm going to hear the Word of God, and my life is never going to be the same again. I am going to be changed in a radical way today by the Word of God. Just something like that. You're, you're putting your expectations out there. You're, you're, you're You're putting your faith out there to receive. You're preparing your heart to receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to divide your soul, lay you wide open, and show you this needs to go, grow in this, this is good, you know, that's not, and help you to grow in the things of God. But if we just show up, hear the message, and go out, and our hearts are half clouded up, and we don't really let nothing in, because all we're worried about is what's going to happen afterwards, where we're going to go eat, the plans for the afternoon, And I'm saying this stuff because this is me. I'm guilty of this. And so we need to come expecting, desiring. And you put a pull on the gift of pastor standing up here and preaching, it starts to change things. You know, he doesn't have to drudge his way through the message and try and get this word into your hearts. If you're open and receptive and desiring it, it'll just come out of him. And then the Holy Spirit can start to move and do his thing. And that's, you know... Um, what we'll get into even more next week is the second thing that we need to desire 
<clears throat> is the anointing, the Holy Spirit of God. And when the two to get together, the word, when the word is preached and the Holy Spirit's allowed to show up and the anointing is on it, that's when the power shows up. That's when the power of God can move. That's when the gifts of the Spirit can move. That's when awesome, mighty things can happen. And God can do neat and mighty, wondrous works. These works that I do, you will do also. And even greater works, Jesus said. Well, I don't know about you, but I ain't seen a whole lot of greater works lately. And I don't think it's because God don't care no more. And I don't think it's because he's given up on us. And I don't think it's because he's checked out or ran out of the little magical potion that causes mighty works to happen. I don't think any of that's true. I think it's us as a church and individually. And I'm not saying that in a condemning fashion. I say that to convince you and exhort you to go after it. Get a hold of it. Get back into the word. Again, it doesn't mean you've got to shut down three hours of your day. Five minutes. If you aren't doing anything, take five minutes a day. You can find five minutes. And if it's right before you go to bed and get up in the morning, maybe on your lunch hour, you take five minutes and spend it with God. Read some word, talk to him, pray, and, and put your faith out there on him. And you'll start to see fruit of that. You'll start to see joy come because you're working your way back. And before you know it, five minutes ain't going to be enough. You're going to want ten minutes. And you'll find another five minutes somewhere else to sneak in along with it. And you'll start changing your patterns to find time and to find room to fit God in. And then as a whole, we're all starting to fall back in love individually as with our first love. And then we come together corporately, all desiring that same thing, desiring to hear the word of God, desiring to put a pull on the gift of God, desiring the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's when God can move. That's when revival happens. That's when the Holy Spirit moves. And, and we'll get into this more next week, but there's so many things that we're all trying to do out there to be relevant, to be fruitful, to, to be successful as a church. And again, we're not necessarily doing a lot of those things here at Harvest Church because we've got a good, solid leader. But there's a lot of churches trying to do these things. And all they need is the anointing. It's all you need. There's, there's nothing that will draw people like the anointing or the power of God. You can't dispute it. You can't argue with it. And when people experience it, just like when we have worship and, and the Holy Spirit moves up, and, and like we did last week, we come forward, and, and if you did that, you can't dispute that God was here and that God was wanting to, to get with you, to love on you, to work with you, to encourage you. There's no doubt in my mind that that's what God was doing, and, and, and you can't dispute it, and that's all we need. But we're not going to get it if we don't give God something to work with by getting into his word, speaking his word, believing his word. It starts here with this. So I encourage you once again, don't walk out the doors today and go, you know what, that was for me. I, I need that. I need more word in my life. But put wheels to your faith. Do something with it. Find a time every day. Yeah, every day. It doesn't work to feed your spirit once or twice a week. You're going to starve. But get into the Word every day and feed your spirit. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be hours long. But start somewhere. Increase 
somewhere and get more word into your life. Amen? Amen.